Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Like they do in Myrtle Beach on Memorial Day weekend. Some people actually stuck around. Awesome. I do want to remember uh, that this is Memorial Day weekend, and uh, there, I don't know how many of us, but I know I'm included in this who have friends who died on the battlefield and have uh, who gave the ultimate sacrifice for uh, for the freedom of this land. And so we want to remember them, and we want to pray for their families. Uh, last few days, I was remembering some of the guys I grew up with, and and how they, the parents didn't get to have them and, and the things that must be going through their mind this morning and, uh, and all. And so we, we do want to be very appreciative of that and remember that and pray for those families who have lost those who have sacrificed so much for us to be able to sit here this morning, to be able to be in a building free and to be able to worship God together and drink coffee and donuts and, and enjoy life. Somebody paid the price for that. And we also want to pray for those in Moore, Oklahoma, we, uh, in the first service, we had one of our members, his nephew lost his whole house there. His brother got all the windows, he said, just, just shot out of his house. He didn't lose his house, but all the windows just blew out when it came through. And, uh, and so we just want to pray for them today, too, and pray up front as we get into this. So, Father, we thank you that uh, we live in a land that is free. We thank you we're able to gather together today without having to worry about uh, someone busting in the door and arresting us for talking about you. We thank you for that freedom. We pray for the families uh, today who are reminded of their loss. We pray you would be with them, God. And we pray for the families uh, in more Oklahoma and those who are going through such devastation. Uh, I pray, God, for those on the ground there who are ministering to the folks and trying to bring comfort. And I do believe these things grieve your heart, Lord, that you're brokenhearted over the loss of life and loss of property and all. And so we pray that your presence would come. We pray that you would be a great source of strength in time of need and peace, Lord. And Lord, we pray your blessing on uh, our time together over the next little bit of time. Uh, I pray that you would help me, uh, my weakness, uh, but also, Lord, this allergy thing is kicking me hard today, Lord, with my sinuses. I pray you we press through that. I pray that, Lord, this very important topic of the Holy Spirit, your presence with us, Lord, that uh, you will come and you will let us know what we need to know and you will do what you need to do in our midst this morning, in us and through us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in a series where just started last week called the Holy Who, as you saw in the bumper video. We came out of about five weeks of looking uh, kind of in an intellectual way at the evidence for belief in God. And so there's no way we should just stick with the intellectual pursuit of God. We need to look at what it means to experience God and what God has provided for us and being able to actually experience his presence. And the Holy Spirit came. That's one of the things he has done and that he continues to do is make himself a known when he comes 
through his church, in his church, and through those who follow Jesus Christ. Last week we looked at the spirit as water, that metaphor. So I'm taking each one of those symbols. Uh, by the way, my name's Tim. If you haven't been here before, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, good to see you. And um, <laughs> we, looked at the, we looked at the metaphor of water last week and the fact that the scripture talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, like being filled with water, like a glass that's empty. And then suddenly God's presence is poured into it. And that we know, we can know when we're filled with the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. And that just as a glass uh, can be filled, it can also be depleted. It can be poured out. It can have a leak. It can have a crack in it, which we're all cracked. And we leak. And even living in this life, those of us who are following Christ and praying that Jesus would be full in our lives and that we would know his fullness in our life, we, we leak and we need to be refilled again with God's presence. A scripture in the New Testament uh, says it this way. It says, be filled with the Holy Spirit and go on being filled. And that is, get filled with his presence and then continue to be filled, to be filled again and again and again, that it's not just a one-shot deal because indeed these vessels, we leak. You know, things squeeze the life out of us at times. And so we've looked at these symbols. Today we're going to look at the symbol of wind because that's one that the scripture uses to describe the Holy Spirit. It uses water, wind. Next week's going to be fire. And then the dove. The last one will be the emblem of the dove. Uh, Next week, I'm really excited because Sherry Carr is going to be with us uh, next Sunday morning. And she'll also be, lead- she's a vineyard uh, songwriter, worship leader for many, many years. And she'll be here leading worship in the morning. But also Sunday, next Sunday night, we'll be gathering for a night of worship. Where we'll be able to pray that God would come and fill us. And we'd see the fire, we'd see the wind. And so uh, you might want to, I know it's in your handout, take that and bring somebody with you next week. I want to tell you just a little bit of our story so you'll know where I'm coming from. If you go to this church, you know my background. Uh, but I want to ask Karen to come up, and this is my lovely wife of, hard to believe, in July, we'll have been married 42 years. And uh, she was 13, but it's beyond the age. They can't get me for it anymore, so it's okay. Yeah. I know it's not. She says it's not funny, but it's like, it's, well, I appreciate the laughter. So that's like, when we first got married, uh, we moved uh, up to Charlotte, North Carolina for me to continue uh, my schooling there at the uh, University of North Carolina at Charlotte. Uh, I was a Christian for maybe four months, five months. And uh, so we go to Charlotte, I go to my classes and I'm looking for any Christian uh, that I can kind of have fellowship with. And as you know, I didn't, really come out of a church background, so I didn't know what church to look for, I didn't know anything like that, but I met this very nice guy, he says, I'm going to a church, you might want to, you guys might want to go with me, because a lot of the college students go to this church, and the name of the church was Resurrection Lutheran Church, and uh, he said, they have, a, they have a special college group that meets 7.30 on Sunday mornings, and you should come out, and so uh, Karen and I, we got in the car and we drove this church and we walked in and wow, it was just, wasn't that it was a big building at all, but it was packed with uh, college students and other types of people. As a matter of fact, it was so diverse. I mean, you would see a college kid sitting there with, you know, 
holy jeans and flip-flops on and a t-shirt next to a lady, and I'll never forget this, with a mink stole and very nice, very proper, and there's a kid and they're both singing and together and we're watching all this. And, but there was something very, something different than just the diversity about that church. They also had seven acoustic guitar players that led worship. <laughs> now, you got to understand this is the early 70s, right? Seven guitar players across the stage and it was awesome when they were in tune. <laughs> I mean, it was really very touching. And uh, they would lead us in these courses uh, simple courses, and we would sing them, and it, it was just so packed. We had to sit on the floor at times. We had to sit behind the seven guitar players in the choir loft many times because if you didn't get there early, you didn't get a seat, and so you had to sit on the floor. Something very special about that whole dynamic of a group of people wanting to be in one place at one time together around the whole aspect of God's love and who he is. And what do, you, what do you remember? I don't want to speak evangelistically. You know, I don't want to stretch the truth. So I want, I want Karen to share her memories this morning of that time in that church too, that what was special about it. Okay. Well, good morning. Um, it's kind of cool to stand up here. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. <laughs> Just saying. Um, but when Tim mentioned to me that he had, we were in Charlotte um, we, I was away for the first time. I had always gone to one church all my life, so that's what I knew. And so when he mentioned to me that he had found us a church to go to, um, Lutheran Church, I was very skeptical. I went, ooh. And um, so I said, you know, you weren't too comfortable at my church. Um, I'm not sure about this one. This one's even more high church than what I took you to. So, you know, I don't know. But I was wrong. I was really wrong. Um, the thing that stood out to me, or the, I guess there's several things that stood out to me, but it was just, it was awesome. And um, there was just a real sense of God's presence there. Um, I was brought up in a church that it was a wonderful church. There was community there. I mean, we had love for each other. But I honestly can say that I never sensed in that church um, what I did in this one. And there, like Tim said, there were people there that it didn't matter that you weren't alike that you didn't dress alike, that you didn't look like each other, that you didn't come from the same backgrounds. You were just there, you know, together for the Lord. And so what I sensed in that church, what stood out to me was the Holy Spirit, was the presence of the Lord. Now, at 19, I probably would have not said that that's what it was. But now I realize that's what I sensed, that I had not been able to put a finger on in my church. And it was just a freedom there. A freedom. They um, were not, you know, they didn't have an agenda of sorts. They didn't have uh, a set um, order of service. You didn't sense that. It was just really, like I said, a freedom 
to allow God to do and operate the way he wanted to. And then the final thing that stood out to me was they had an expectation of just that, that the Holy Spirit was going to show up. So it was awesome. Yeah, thanks, son. Huh? You don't get this, do you? Uh, you can take it. The, the form of service was very, uh, it was comfortable. It was like if there was one, you didn't notice it was there. You know what I'm saying? Like when you put on a good pair of shoes, it's like they fit great, but you don't notice that they fit great. It's just very comfortable. And so we would go into that service, we'd sing for a while, and, and she and I would look at each other and go, what, is, what are we feeling? What are we sensing here? And then Pastor Murley, and I got a, this is a terrible picture, it's the only one I could find of him. Ralph, if you throw it up there, there's Pastor Herb. Pastor Herb died probably six, seven years ago um, from cancer. I got to talk to him twice since we left way back. I called him to thank him back probably 20 years ago for what he meant to me. He was my first pastor. Uh, but Pastor Herb, would, with the robes and all on, would start stepping over bodies, and he would say the text to the scripture that morning, and then he would call on another guy to read the scripture. And this guy was a man named Father Sherry. That was his nickname. There's Father Sherry in the book he wrote. Father Sherry, or Sherwood, we called him Father Sherry, was an, a retired Episcopal priest who was as full of the love of God as anybody I have ever met in my entire life. Those little blue eyes would sparkle. He's probably five foot two. And just that gray hair and gray beard, he outlived three wives. Uh, I mean, he lived a long life. But Pastor Murley would call him and say, he would say, okay, our text is like today, Acts 2, verses 1 through 2. Father Sherry, read it for us. And Father Sherry would be somewhere out in, in the congregation, and he would stand up, and you'd see his head like about that, above everybody. And, uh, and then he would begin to read the scripture and, and Pastor Murley would start playing off of whatever Father Sherry said. He'd say, well, what do you think, Father Sherry? What do you think about that? And then he'd look around the room, and they would do this tag team preaching. I mean, in a Lutheran church with an Episcopal priest. I mean, you know, that's a weird way to start your Christian walk. I mean, I got confused. I'm still confused. I mean, I don't know. And it was a charismatic Lutheran church back in the 70s. I mean, that's this sense of the Holy Spirit and things that were going on. And so... It, just, it was just a glorious experience. We didn't know exactly what we were feeling. Eventually, we realized it was the presence of God. It was the Holy Spirit that we were feeling. And um, that's what I want to talk about today and what we've been, we're going to talk about over the next two weeks, and we did last week, is experiencing the presence of God. And so we're going to be over in Acts 2, verses 1 through 2 today. And let me just read this, and uh, we'll jump in it. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Father, I just pray your blessing on your word this morning. Breathe life on it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this book, the book of Acts, is a, a wonderfully detailed book. It is so detailed, as you heard three or four weeks ago, me mentioned that an archaeologist and historian uh, went to Palestine, to the area, to disprove the Bible. And he spent 25 years over there digging, and when he came back, he was a Christian. 
And that's how detailed and specific that the book of Acts is. And Luke, who wrote this book, was a very specific person. There are places, you know, all, it, it can be disproved. And so when you approach even this scripture of Acts 2, 1 through 2, it's important to remember that this book has some integrity in it. And so when I read this, I'm like, okay, God, teach me what you want me to know because this happened. Let me see this. And what does it mean for me? What does it mean for my church? What does it mean for my life right now? Now, you don't have a fill-in this morning because I was a slacker this week. You got a blank page there that you can fill in. It was a busy week. I got busy. I didn't get it finished until yesterday, actually. And, uh, and so, uh, you'll just have to follow along. Usually, if you're, you, if you're a guest of the church first time, we usually have a fill-in uh, that we, that we uh, use here. And I'll give it to you as we... Go along. The church had gathered together this first group of people, about 120 of them in this upper room because Jesus had told them to go, right? He said in Acts 1, he said, listen, you guys, you need to go stay and you pray until this thing that I told you about in John 14, 15, and 16, the Holy Spirit, till this personality, this God, which the Holy Spirit is God, comes. Now, I try to think about what they were were. What was going through their minds when Jesus told them that? I mean, they had heard John 14, 15, and 16. They knew that Jesus said, it's important for me to go away so that the Holy Spirit can come. But they didn't know what they were getting into. They didn't know what the Holy Spirit would be like coming and falling on them and coming to be in them, to be a part of them. And so when they went to that upper room, they went in going, I don't know what we're waiting on, but Jesus said it's important and we shouldn't go until he comes. And so we're going to go into that upper room and we're going to pray and we're going to stay until this Holy Spirit that Jesus was talking about finally comes. He said that once he comes, we'll be witnesses unto all of the world, but we're not to be that until he comes. So it must be pretty important. So we're going to go and we're going to pray and we're going to wait. And like many times in the Bible, over and over again, nothing happens by chance. This happens to be on Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. It's a special festival that's going on. It's the end of the harvest. Israel is celebrating. Matter of fact, this is a very happy time in Jerusalem. It wouldn't have been unusual for the men of the city to be out in the streets dancing and uh, they were partying. People would take off from work and come to the city uh, it was a celebration and a reminder of God sending Messiah eventually as well. And so there was this expectation in Jerusalem at that time that God would send Messiah. It was a happy time. The harvest had come in. I mean, you guys ever read this stuff? I mean, it's like really crazy how things get linked together. I mean, that all of these authors over 1,500 years, 2,000 years, all of this falls in one place at one time together and supports itself. And so they're there on Pentecost. There's probably a couple hundred thousand people who have come into the city because of this festival. Why would God pour his Holy Spirit out on Pentecost, Harvest Day, when there's so many people? God is a smart God. You know, he wants to affect a lot of people. He wants to touch a lot of people. And so I want to point out a few things in this story. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And if you had a fill-in, that would be it. All together in one place. And that is that if we want to see the Holy Spirit come to us, if we want to experience the Holy Spirit as wind, 
as water. One of the things here in this passage of scripture that's very important is the church realized when they come together in one place together at one time around one thing and that is Jesus, some very special things can happen. And that it's very important that the church comes together. And Jesus said, you guys need to go together. He didn't tell Peter, you go over here to this side of the city and hey, you know, John, you go over on this side. Mary, you go over on this side. You take five with you. You take five. No, he said, you go to the upper room and you stick it out together and you pray together because unity is very, very important. And the Holy Spirit seems to show up with much, much more regularity when there's unity in the group, when there's unity in the church all together in one place. I know we all like our personal experiences. In America, we are so individualistic. I mean, we want to make our Christianity individualistic. It's my faith, what God is doing in me. But you see, the system that was set up when the scripture was written through Israel, there was no individualism in faith. It was a corporate experience. They experienced it as a body. Israel experienced God's blessing as a body, as a group of people. That was carried right on into the New Testament, right on into Christianity through the fact that God tells the group, you wait together and you pray together and I'm going to bless you with the gift that's the Holy Spirit. There are some things that will go on in the group that will not go on when you're by yourself. And when we pull ourselves out in a way and we... We go off on our own. We pull ourselves out of that place where God can do some very special things. I mean, I have to tell you, this, the, the Holy Spirit, this whole experience of the Spirit, I was like that. This same time that Karen and I were at this church, uh, we, we started going regularly. And then one evening, uh, one of my fellow students uh, there at UNC, he says, hey, we're having a men's meeting tonight. You want to come out Sunday night? I said, sure, I'd love to come out. And so we came out, we went upstairs, we were in this circle, probably 15 of us, something like that. And one of the associate pastors there is sharing and we're working through the scripture. And then all of a sudden, Pastor Murley comes in and he's got his arm around this young man and the guy is just weeping like a baby. I mean, I'm like five months a Christian. I mean, I don't know squat. You know, I don't know anything. He brings him in, you know, and all, the whole small group turns and looks at Pastor Murley and, and, and Pastor Herb goes, hey, you know, I think this guy's ready to, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So they all get up and they got this look on their face like buzzards on the side of a road looking at a dead carcass. I mean, they're like, and they take off, man. They just take off from their seats and they rush over to this guy and they cover him up. And they just start praying for him. I'm still in my chair. <laughs> like, hey, what the, what's going on here? I'm not so sure. You know, what, what's happening here? And so, you know, I, they, the guy's weeping. Suddenly he starts laughing. And uh, then I hear these sounds that I can't make sense out of. You know, it's like another language or something. I'm thinking he's from some country. He's really speaking his language now. And I don't recognize what country he's from. And, uh, and then suddenly they all turn and look at me. <laughs> and they get the same look on their face that they had on like, And I was like, don't do it, man. Don't do it. Don't do it. And my buddy Kent came over to me and he says, hey, would you like for us to pray 
for you? I said, are you kidding me? No way. Uh-uh. That ain't going to happen, man. That one, I just, uh-uh, no, 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 no. That was that individualism in me, that thing of I'm uncomfortable when it becomes a group thing and I might get embarrassed and who knows what, I'm out of control then. I don't want to be in control. I'm a controlled person. I want to be in control of this. And so we left and they were nice. They didn't, you know, force me or anything or throw me to the floor. And uh, I went home that night. Karen had come home for a wedding and, uh, and Kent came over to the house for us to study for an exam. And he came out of one of the rooms in our apartment and he was just weeping and this was the guy that invited me to the, the men's meeting and he just, he sat down by me he, he said, will you forgive me? He was just crying. He said, I am so sorry that I tried to force something on you. I, I'm just really sorry. I'm really sorry that I embarrassed you in front of the group. I'm sorry that I put you in that position. I know you love Jesus and God can do in you what he wants to do. And, uh, and will you forgive me? And I, you know, it just broke down all the barriers in me. I said, well, of course I forgive you. And so he goes, you know, I think he stayed with me that night. He went back to another room. I was sleeping on the floor in the den. And, and so uh, I picked up my Bible. After he left, it opened me up to think about this thing. So I picked up my Bible, which had a concordance at that time in the back of it. And I went over to the Spirit and the Holy Spirit, and I wrote down every single one it has said, and then I went to every footnote. I, mean, I don't know how many hours it took me that night, but I read every reference I could find that had to do with the Holy Spirit. And when I finished reading all those references, I put my Bible down and I said this, it's in there. I can't, I mean, I don't know what to say, God, but you did some weird things in here. And I see, I mean, when you moved on people, it seems weird to me, but it wasn't weird to them. I mean, they experienced your presence. They came, you came on them in power. And so I said, you know what? I need everything you have for me. And you said that the Holy Spirit is a gift, a good gift. And you would never give me something that's not good for my life. And so I'm asking for it, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And whatever gifts come with that, I'll take it. Whatever it is, take it. Now, the Lord did a real work in my life that night, and, but I want you to know something. I was still so individualist, individualistic that I didn't tell anybody for four years, three or four years, that God had done something in me and that I had experienced something because I figured it's nobody's business. But that is not what I read here. Every time I see the Holy Spirit moving on people, it happened in groups of people. Where the church gathered together, where there was love and where there was worship and where there was sharing and where God wanted to do something in a group. And it wasn't about me, it was about the group and what God wanted to do in in the church. Not necessarily just about me. And God loves unity. That's where he pours his spirit out in Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and I'll say sisters live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there, where? There the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. It's there in the congregation where brothers and sisters get along, in that group. That's why unity is so important and such a guarded thing in a local church. The local church must have unity to experience the Holy Spirit. It's where God 
commands the blessing. That's why over in the epistles we're told over and over again, get our relationship straight and right. Forgive where you need to forgive. Restore where you need to restore. And get on with it so that the Holy Spirit can come and minister to and through his church. It's in the midst of unity. In Romans 15, 5 through 6, Paul said, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we do in worship. We're, We're speaking one language with one voice saying one thing. Worship is so important because that's when we get to be in unity, even in what we're saying, even in what we're thinking. When we just sang the song and in just a few minutes we go back to worship, that is not just some addendum to this meeting today, this gathering. This is a release and an agreement that we are all agreeing Jesus Christ is worthy of worship. And when we do that and we sing the same words, we open ourselves up in unity for the Holy Spirit to come and blow across us and do whatever he wants to in our midst. Over and over again, we see this in like Acts 2.44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Acts 4.32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Unity together in one place is where God allows his Holy Spirit to blow across the room and across our lives, in our small groups, on Sunday mornings, at our night of worships, worship. I mean, you coming in here this morning, us sitting in these chairs is not just a meeting. Wherever two or more are gathered in my name, Jesus said, I will be there in the midst. I mean, Jesus, I believe, is here. And he wants to make himself known through the Holy Spirit in his church. And we have a much better chance of seeing that happen when we're all together. In one place. And then he says this, and your second fill in would be this suddenly, now this is really messes with us organized, predictable, prim and proper Greek thinking people right here. Because we don't want anything suddenly. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. Suddenly, suddenly. We don't want to be surprised. We want to be controlled like me that night. That night when those guys wanted to pray for me, hey, that's out of my control. I don't want you praying for me. I'll get this on my own. I'm good. I'm good. Because if it gets uncomfortable, I can cut it off. I can stop it. I can walk off. I can quit reading and quit praying. I won't submit myself to the bigger picture. We're afraid. Suddenly, but Jesus said over in John 3, 8 about the Spirit, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The wind blows wherever it pleases. That means that it will come when it wants to, where it wants to, when it wants to. And where it goes, it will go and it will leave when it wants to. It's not up to us. But we can prepare for it by being in unity, by gathering together in one place. In the Hebrew, in the Old Testament spirit, the word is ruach. And it's wind. It's the best word they had to describe. I mean, I hope you understand that the writers of the scripture tried to describe what they saw and what they experienced as best they could. And that's the word they used because it looked like a wind. It felt like a wind blowing into their life and through their life. 
And then in the Greek, we get to the New Testament, it's the word pneuma, you know, like a pneumatic tool, an air-driven tool, pneuma, breath, wind, air, blowing in. And uh, it's the wind again. It's the breath of God. Over in the Gospels, we know Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That breath of God, that blowing, that wind of God came upon them suddenly. Jesus had told him to go and pray and wait, but all of a sudden it was there. It came. The presence of God came. Some of you have, some of you have sensed this before in this church. I've talked to you. Some of you from more conservative backgrounds and churches, I, I've talked with you and you've said, I don't know what's going on with me. I mean, I'm singing this song and suddenly I'm trying not to cry, but I start crying. I don't know what's going on. Why is that happening, Tim? I'm like, well, that's the Holy Spirit blowing through your life. That's him moving, moving in you. You ought to go with it. <laughs> you ought to go with it. Just go with it. Go with it. Suddenly something happens as Jesus is being lifted up. His presence comes in the Holy Spirit. Suddenly, suddenly. Are you willing to be surprised? I mean, honestly, that's an honest question. Because I don't like surprises. I just, I'm just going to tell you, I'm a control freak. Well, what am I going to say? I like step one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and don't jump steps on me, okay? But this is a wild life. The Holy Spirit of God goes where it wants to go. It falls on those he wants to fall on. You can't make him come and you can't run him off. He does what he wants to. Are you willing to say, surprise me, Lord? Surprise me with your presence. Go ahead. Surprise me. Howell Harris, a Welch evangelist, all the way back in 1735, he got surprised one day. And here are his words. I felt suddenly my heart melting within me like wax before the fire with love to God my Savior and felt not only love, peace, and more, but longing to be dissolved and to be with Christ. Then was a cry in my inmost soul which I was totally unacquainted with before. Abba, Father, Abba, Father. I could not help calling God my Father. I knew that I was His child and that He loved me and heard me. My soul being filled and satiated, crying, "'Tis enough! I am satisfied. Give me strength and I will follow thee through water and fire." I could say I was happy indeed. There was in me a well of water springing up to everlasting life. John 4, 14. Surprised by being acquainted with God being your daddy, father. Suddenly the reality of that coming to your life at this moment, at this time is an experience are you saying, Tim, we should have an experience? Hey, I'm just reading the scripture here. You interpret it. You take it. Was this an experience? Acts 1 through 2. Acts 2, 1 and 2. Was that experienced? Somebody say yes. Help me out here. I mean, was that experienced, really? Was that something they experienced? They felt it, heard it. They were there. They walked out talking about it, right? Well, how are we any different? Do you need any experiences in your life? Do you? We only change out of experiences. And the Holy Spirit has a good experience for you. He has a good experience for you. The Spirit surprised Peter many times uh, through the book of Acts. And one of my favorite stories is over in Acts 10. And I'll just paraphrase the whole story for you. But, you know, 
Peter had, as awesome as he is, he had some problems. He had some prejudices, especially against non-Jews, Gentiles. Well, God, I'll tell you, if you've got a prejudice, God's going to go after you. He is going to work on your heart, and he's going to deal with you until you understand how much he loves people, all people. And so Peter goes up to the top of his house during the middle of the day. He's a little tired. He's going to take a nap. He lays down, and he starts having this dream. He sees this sheet of unclean animals, like from the Old Testament. The Hebrews could not eat certain foods that were unclean. So he sees this sheet come down. It's got unclean animals in it. He hears this voice that says, eat. He goes, I'm not eating those things, man. You told us, you know, in the Hebrew Bible, you told us not to eat those things. I'm not touching anything unclean. I'm a good Jew. It goes up. Second time, comes down, eat. Peter goes, it's a test. I'm a good Jew. I don't eat those things. Get those unclean animals out of here. Goes back up. Third time, comes down, eat. Peter goes, I'm not eating that, man. That, you know, those are unclean animals. And then he hears the voice of God. What I have declared clean. What I have made clean. Don't you call it unclean. For some reason, the number three is just real important with Peter. Have you noticed that? The number three. Over and over again. Over and over again. The same time that's going on, across town, there's a Roman soldier named Cornelius. A Roman soldier. If you've read your Bible, maybe you can make these connections. A Roman soldier is across town. He's a good man. He's praying. He's hungering for God, but he doesn't know how to have a personal relationship with God. But he's a good man. He helps the poor. He does what he can. His household, his servants, his family loves him. They care for him. God shows up to Cornelius and says, hey, there's a guy across town named Peter. You need to get him to come over here and talk to you. Same time that God's dealing with Peter about Gentiles, non-Jews. You get this? Remember the last time Peter was with a soldier? It didn't go well, did it? Right? See how God deals with prejudices and tries to work on us? So Peter gets up. He walks downstairs. The same time he walks downstairs, the emissaries from Cornelius show up. Perfect timing. Surprises Peter. They go back. They go back to Cornelius' house. They walk in, and Peter begins to preach the gospel, and he says things like this, the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. He starts declaring that, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's Jesus, 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 and as he's preaching Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins to move on Cornelius, on this Roman soldier and his whole family, and right in the middle of Peter's perfect sermon, the Holy Spirit falls. And what happens? Suddenly, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. He wrecked Peter's sermon right in the middle of it. With the Holy Spirit falling. Suddenly, on people that Peter would not even have approved of much, and a Roman soldier. Are you willing to be surprised? You willing for the wind of the Holy Spirit to come upon you? Lastly, your last fill-in, there's just this part of the scripture in Acts uh, 2, 2. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. You know, you can't hear wind unless there's some vehicle, some instrument that it blows up against. You know that? Like when it hits your ear, those little cilia, the, th- the little 
things that are in your ear, they begin to vibrate against each other and you hear it, roll, you hear it rolling around in your ear. The wind chimes outside of your house, you hear them hitting. You hear the wind go through the trees. But if you do not have some vehicle for the wind to blow up against, you don't know it's there. If you don't have the hair on your arms where you feel the wind blowing up and they start moving, you feel that sensation, you don't know it's there. The Holy Spirit is experienced in people, in a group of people as they gather together. And when the wind comes, you know it. Well, did the Holy Spirit come today? I'm not so sure. I think we can know it. Am I filled with the Holy Spirit? I think you can know it. Because there is some movement. There's vibration. There's energy. There's sound. Some of us, I used to take clarinet lessons from like the second grade right on through high school. Until that wind hit that reed on that clarinet, there was no sound. But once the wind hit the reed, there was sound. You knew something was being played. And we know when the Holy Spirit blows into a church because the people are being played like an instrument for God. You sense it, you recognize it, and it's a beautiful thing. And I just want to say this too, caution word, and we're going we're to go back to worship here, is that probably we come out of two camps in this church. Karen and I come out of more of that Pentecostal charismatic camp. For many years, we, were in a, we started another church with a small group of people, Christ Community Church, right over here in Conway. We were there for 16 years with that church. It was very uh, more charismatic in the early days. And before that, I was in the Assemblies of God before they kicked me out. And that's another story. And, um, but it was an experience. And, um, you know, all of it. But you know what we do? If we don't feel the wind, those of us from a Pentecostal charismatic back, renewal background, if we don't feel the wind, we will make the wind. We'll start flapping our arms. Anybody feel the wind? No, let's go. Come on. Woo, this is great, man. Awesome. But you know what happens after a while when you create the wind? It wears you out. You just can't keep it up. Then you get a bad attitude and you wonder, what's wrong with this group of people? Where's the wind? Now, that's one temptation. The other temptation is when the wind blows over on this side, you start putting the hurricane shutters down. You lock the door. You turn the lights off. You cross your arms and you go, it's not getting to me. I feel real uncomfortable with this. This is weird. This is out of my control. I don't want to feel this. Who knows what's going to happen when this wind blows through here? No, close the door. Close the door. Get quiet. Listen. Both sides. You can't domesticate the Holy Spirit. He comes when he wants to come and he goes when he wants to go. But I think we would experience a lot more if we were welcoming and we said, you're welcome here, Holy Spirit. Come. When the wind comes, it says it sounded like a blowing violent wind. Not that it was a wind, it sounded like it. We don't know what it was. All we know is you could hear something. And I think you could hear the people. I think the people were being played like an instrument of God. And you could hear the worship and you could hear the praises and you could hear that they loved Jesus. And this is all about Jesus because when the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus is just lifted up, lifted up, lifted up, lifted up. Not about our experience. It's about Jesus. So my question today is just simply this for us. Are we willing 
to say, come Holy Spirit. Blow your wind across my life. Are we willing to see that happen in this church, in our life? Simon Ponsonby, a theologian from England, I've enjoyed reading a couple of books on the Holy Spirit by him through this series, said this, Surely we cannot expect Almighty God to visit us, saturate us, supernaturally transform and equip us while we remain emotionally and physically like marble. Like the wind, we don't... Here's what I want to say this morning, and you guys can stand up. Like the wind, we don't control it. So relax. You don't have to make something happen, but you also don't have to resist it when it comes. And like the church in the upper room, we can gather together and we can pray in anticipation that the Lord would grace us with His presence, with the wind of God. And we can pray, church. We can say, come Holy Spirit. Fall upon us. Bring your presence. I need it. Maybe you need healing. You need comfort. You need to know that God is with you. Pray for the Holy Spirit to come and we can worship Jesus together in unity. This is not an add-on when we sing. This is the church in unity. Singing the same words about the one and only true lover of our soul, Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.